What is going on? It is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieved stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Donna Missile over Zoom video. Donna was born and raised in New Jersey, comes from a very musical family. Her grandmother was a jingle writer, lyricist, and her dad is a songwriter and producer. And her younger brother actually played guitar with her uh, for quite some time as well. But Donna got into music at a very early age. She was able to sing in her dad's studio. She ended up joining theater for a long time, did musical theater. She talked about graduating high school and then joining some bands. She played South by Southwest, ended up moving to L.A., pursue her solo career she talked about getting signed while in los angeles putting out a couple albums getting dropped from her label and she talks to us all about her first independent album that she's releasing called revel you can watch our interview with donna on our facebook page and youtube channel at bringing it backwards it'd be amazing if you subscribe to our channel like us on facebook follow us on instagram twitter and tiktok at bringing back pod and if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it'd be incredible if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Donna Missile. Hi, Donna. How are you? Hi. Good. How are you? I am fantastic. I appreciate you doing this. Thank you so much. Sure. Of course. Thanks for having me. Can you see me? I can see you. Can you see okay. me? I do. I see you. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Um, I'm Adam, by the way, and this is about you and your journey in music. And we'll talk about the album. And I love the two songs that you've put out thus far. So I'm excited. Thank to... you. Hi, Adam. Hello. I'm excited to hear your, your story. Oh, cool. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, uh, from what I, I'm reading online, and, and it screwed me in the past, but uh, are you from New Jersey? I am from New Jersey. Born and raised? Yeah, I was born in New York and my parents moved us to the suburbs of New Jersey when I was two. Oh, and, wow. um, yeah, I was raised there with my five siblings in a super suburban neighborhood in New Jersey. Yeah, that's amazing. Where do you fall in line in the in the siblings? I'm the second oldest. Second oldest. Okay. Yeah. And so my my older sister's super type a like went to college and got on the dean's list and got a great job and like that's her vibe and um i'm very i'm very like second child vibe but okay. I, play, I play a big sister to um uh, a lot of my younger siblings and isn't your brother in your band is that what i saw <laughs> i've played i've played with my brother a lot yeah my brother is um 20 i think he's 21 now and still out in new jersey with my parents because you know he's still a kid but yeah right. we've, we've toured together um over the years and i tap him for stuff all the time he's an incredible musician that's awesome and you come from a musical family correct i do yeah it's like been in my lineage for a really long time like my dad's mother was a songwriter um and would like wow. write little jingles and um yeah, one of one of my most like prized possessions is her like lyric book from the 40s. It's just like the coolest thing. That um, is amazing. Right? Just like so so interesting to to like read 
someone's musings from such a different time. But um, yeah, he, my father um, was uh, played in bands and wrote songs and was a singer and um, a producer. And he had a studio in New York, which is where he met my mother. So yeah, music is like, it's very like in the blood for sure. Yeah. So he was, that was his gig. I mean, that was his job. He was a musician. That was his thing. Yeah. Um, he was a session drummer and he produced for a lot of like up and coming people that went on to do some insane things. Um, but he, um, he wanted to have a family with my mother and he was super passionate about um, education as well. So he got into educating and was going to school and working um, as I was growing up. And um, he did some really cool stuff with like combining like historical literature stuff with music and creating programs for kids to like learn about history, which is what he's um, what he taught um, through through music, which is like a really cool intersection of someone just taking what they're what they're you know really passionate about and finding a way to share it. And so, yeah, he's he's super inspiring to me. Always, always has been. That's awesome. With uh, your grandmother's lyric book, was she, did you know her growing up, or did or is she no. around? Oh, okay. No, I. Um, I didn't get to know her, um, but my dad says I'm a whole lot like her, which I think is really interesting um, how that stuff can carry generationally. But um, no, my dad, my dad's family was always really small and, and he was from such a, a, a weird time in history and, you know, like grew up in the fifties and like, just can't imagine how, how weird that must've been, but he lost both of his parents when he was pretty young. And um yeah, um, such a wealth of like emotional, like depth there from from him, and um, yeah, that that's uh, rubbed off on me in a really in a really big way. I bet. But he's, I mean, uh, I, he says I'm like his mom a lot, which I think is really cool. That's amazing, especially as a songwriter and a lyricist, and and being yeah. able to kind of you know take that on as well, like his mom. It makes him super, super proud, which is nice because I was such a shit when I was younger and like such a, I was so rebellious and always getting in trouble. And I think, I think getting into music really like set me on a, a more like serious course. I just got really serious about it when I was a teenager and I was like so passionate about it and wanted it so bad that I think it helps just kind of all the like stupid shit I was doing just sort of became less important to me and kind of fell away. And he's, he's so excited and loves that I make music, even though it's, he knows how difficult it is to like, you know, make a career of it. And I definitely struggle, but um, I'm happy to be a, you know, an, an artist. Yeah. I mean, to have, uh, you know, usually if your family or parents, sometimes if they're in the industry or, or to a degree, it's like, they don't want their kids to do it. Right. It's like, Oh, it was such a struggle. So hard. Like there's other avenues to kind of make money or whatever, but to be supportive of what you're doing um, and proud of it. That's amazing. Yeah. I, we had a weird upbringing. It was very like freedom of expression. It was very like supportive of how weird and strange we were as kids and how into like performance and, and expressing ourselves we were. And I think my parents, knew too that there were like ways to have a career that you know 
I think when you think of like pop artists, you have this pretty narrow understanding of like how that person might succeed. Right. I think my parents just had this more um, in-depth understanding of like, you could sell songs for advertisement and you could like, there's ways to, to have a career Mm -hmm. that didn't have to do with like making it big. And so I think that helped a lot with them being able to like justify that kind of support for, for what I was trying to do. Sure. It's not like the only avenue is I'm going to be a big, big star. star, right? You can write there's, I, I just recently moved to Nashville a couple of years ago. I'm from San Diego originally. Awesome. And it's like meeting these people that have these huge careers and you wouldn't have any clue who they were when they're walking into a restaurant or whatever. And it's like, Oh, that person's wrote, you know, 10 number one songs. Like, totally. what? <laughs> so ideal. Like that would be my dream career is to just like write cool things that you would never know that I wrote. And um, yeah, very like, very well, you've done that to a degree, right? You've written for other people. A bit. It's something I'm getting into more now as I've, I've got a few records behind me and I'm, I'm independent now, which has been really interesting career shift. And I'm, you know, with a new publishing company now, and um, I'm really intent on developing uh, artists and being a part of the writing process for, for other artists to figure out what do I want to say and who do I want to be and how do I want to present my ideas. And I, I loved that process of, um, and I, I still love that process of record making. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to get into it more and, and move myself more in that, in that direction, just because it's, um, I just think it's like super fascinating and a really fun way to use skills that don't get utilized like all the time in your artistry. Like, you know, you make a record and then you promote the record and that's like 10 songs you know, right. if you're lucky. And so like, I, I love the idea of being able to create more and be involved, you know, behind the scenes on things like that's really inspiring to me and making records is like my favorite part of the process. So I want to make records for other people. Yeah. Um, but I've, I've dabbled a little bit and I'm starting to get into it more. And this year there will be more songs coming out that I wrote that, um, that I'm not on as an artist and I'm really, really excited about it. That's really, really cool. Um, so first off, like where, obviously coming from a musical household, do you, like, where do you start out in your kind of journey? Did you start taking piano lessons at an early age? Was it something that your parents were like, oh, we want you to at least learn an, an instrument growing up? Or it, would it, was it you wanting to do it? Like, how no, did like, I wish that I got lessons. My, my parents struggled a lot. You know, there were six of us and my dad was you know, like raising us on a teacher salary and my mom, um, you know, homeschooled us. So it was a super weird upbringing, like a really strange childhood in that way. Um, And so I think, you know, I mentioned my dad's studio. He had, he had kept so much of his equipment he kept it in our basement and he would record us from the time I was really, really young. And so it just like, and I, I look back now and it's so weird because like we were using like tape machines and like, <laughs> you know, like this microphone from the sixties, a Neumann U87. That's just this Damn, like, like beautiful. Yeah. Like yeah. A really. And I'm like four and I'm like 
singing on it, can't pronounce my R's. Like very si- like it's silly to think about now and how much time I spend in studios and I'm really into into like microphones and gear and, gear, and yeah. compressors and so I think it's so cool. So just to know that that's how I kind of was introduced to the concept of like singing on a microphone and singing in a studio and my earliest memories of that, like I was like four when we started doing that. So in terms of like introduction to, and like just having access to like making music and being creative, that was just kind of like inherent to my environment, like from the time, from as early as I can remember. So we never really like took lessons, but we were, we were home with each other all the time. And so my sisters and I would like harmonize with each other to like, you know, whatever my dad had on, he was always listening to like the Beatles and Aretha Franklin. And so whatever was playing, we would like figure out the harmonies and sing together. And I think that's what made my focus so strongly like vocalization and like being Mm -hmm. a vocalist. And I kind of just became obsessed with it and they got us involved in theater in local theater so that we could like not be the weird homeschooled kids that didn't have any friends, but, you know, like have a community of people to hang out with. So I was doing theater when I was young and that kind of helped with the like stage introduction thing. But yeah, that's, that's kind of how, how music became like a, like a presence. I think it just was there and we were really into it. And instead of discouraging it, my parents just encouraged it. Like, we were never really like judged or told that it was strange for us to be doing that or like, Oh, you know, like get back to work or whatever. Like it was always very like, Oh, that's so great that you guys are doing that and that you like that. So yeah. Yeah. It's, it kind of just happened that way. And I just kind of, I, I just never stopped recording music and singing from yeah, from that time. Were you writing as well? Like, I mean, like, totally. was that something you were a part of? Like lyrics or poems or what, when totally. did you start doing that? Oh my God, I was so like, I was so angsty and so emotional. And so I, yeah, I would write little songs by like singing to myself in my backyard. It's like about how I felt. And I was really young doing that. And that just kind of developed into like, you know, we'd have like, my dad would always bring stuff home from the schools that they were throwing out. And they were always throwing out like crazy shit. Like he brought home a keyboard that a couple of the keys like didn't work, you know? So like the school didn't want to use it anymore, but we used it. So I was always coming. Who gives a shit? Two keys don't work, whatever. (laughs) I don't even know how to play. So that's fine. So yeah, I, I started writing songs on this little keyboard and there were always guitars around and yeah, I just would figure out how to play a couple of chords and be like, that's good enough. And then just like write lyrics and singing was always the, always the reason for all of it. And like, I just wanted to like express myself vocally. So, so yeah, I, I've, I've always been writing kind of as a, a way to sing. And mm-hmm. then I found that eventually the writing caught up to being like just as important to me, like the storytelling and the crafting a song and, and expressing yourself, you know, and um, through a lyric and, and I, I love lyricism and it's just such a huge part of what I do now. Um, But yeah, all kind of through, 
through just wanting to sing. Would you like, I mean, being homeschooled on, it sounds like you were put in like extracurricular stuff, obviously with like theater and everything. Did you try or were you ever like in a band playing with other kids or was it mainly something that you kind of did by yourself or with your family? Well, theater I did for a really long time. I started when I was like 10 and then I um, auditioned for a school, a vocational school that had a theater program in high school. And so I went to four years of this vocational school um, that was all theater based. So all of our classes were like intensives on acting, writing, dancing, singing, um, putting on music. So I was really into that. Um, But yeah. Sorry. What was your question? I was just wondering if you were in a band or you had your own songs that you would That's like right. That's perform right. to people or anything. Yeah. Like, like I, I was sorry. So I was in theater. I was like becoming more of an individual and like figuring myself out. And this was towards like my senior year in high school and all of the kids in my class were like getting ready to audition for conservatory programs, like go to college. Mm. And I just knew that I wasn't going to be able to afford to go to school. And they were, they were auditioning for these like really premier, like conservatory. Exactly. Like, you know, Boston conservatory and, <laughs> yeah, and Carnegie Mellon and like NYU Tisch, like really yeah. good schools. And I was just like, I'm not going to be able to go. Like, I know I can't, I can't go. My parents had, had been really like, upfront about like, you know, if you want that, you can do that, but you have to do it yourself. You know, you got to figure it out. And so I was just feeling like that it was just not for me. And Mm -hmm. I was starting to just like, feel like the theater wasn't doing, it wasn't like the medium that was like, right for me, because I had so much that I wanted to express. And so many things that I wanted to say. And when you're you know, doing theater, you're performing a character and you're embodying somebody else and expressing yourself through somebody else. And that just wasn't, it wasn't like fulfilling that need. Um, mm-hmm. But I learned so much about, you know, stage presence and how to be on stage, how to be comfortable performing. And so it was senior year and I was just like, I don't think I'm going to go to college. I think I should join a band. And so I found auditions on Craigslist for a band and uh, in New Jersey and I auditioned and um, I just kind of kept doing it. We started playing shows and I played in bands for years before um, kind of going out on my own and, and doing my own thing. Wow. So once you start or once you join these bands, like obviously you're taking it serious, like, like that's what you wanted to do. And how long did these bands last? Like what's kind of like, was there uh, a level of success you had had achieved at that time because I know you eventually moved to Los Angeles, correct? Yeah, I did. I I was playing in these bands and we we would play shows and like whether it was you know five people or twenty five people, there you know there was always a reason to play the next show as a result of these shows. Like there was always someone there that was like, oh, we want you to play this. Um, and so the show's really, that's kind of what kept me like in the bands and, um, singing and play, you know, making music in these bands. Um, I, I never released any, any music that I made with these bands. We never had records that like we put on band camp or anything. We, we were always just like trying to get out in front of people and play live. Um, 
I was in a two-piece band for a little bit um, and we had played a show, a little acoustic show at South by Southwest, which. Damn, you got, that's a legit gig to get. (laughs) No, it's funny though, because like South by Southwest on its face is this like, you know, like cool, like industry thing, but there are so, so many little showcases that take place and like, We played at, I don't know if it's still this way, this was years ago, but we played at midnight in a cabaret theater and there was like nobody there. And it's still, you know, it's, it's South by Southwest, but it's this, like, there's, I I think that the perception of these things is always grander than what they really are. And so we were super excited about the opportunity and we drove out there in our minivan and we were like really stoked to play. And I still, I'm so, I I love that we, we played that, but um, it, it wasn't what it sounds like, you know, there wasn't anybody there. It, It wasn't the opportunity we thought we were getting, but there was a guy there who was, I can't believe I'm telling you this. This is stuff I like, just do not talk about, but what the fuck? Why not? Um, (laughs) I appreciate it. Thank you. (laughs) There was, there was a guy there who was recruited by this company, Restoration Hardware, which is a furniture company. Oh yeah. I know. And it's expensive furniture, but yeah, it's like bougie stuff. Like I live in Nashville and there's one here that has a, like a high end restaurant inside of okay, it so what they had started <laughs> to do is they were getting into like lifestyle they were starting to they wanted to open hotels they wanted to open galleries and this was all very like i think they had really big dreams and i i don't know really what came of a lot of it i i remember at the time that they were also commissioning fine artists to create art for them and do these gallery showings but they were like you know in affiliation with restoration hardware i i want to say they wanted to get into hospitality and do like like um you know this restaurant that makes that makes a lot of sense i think that was in line with what they were trying yeah it's bizarre i mean it's beautiful and the food's good but it's like you're literally in the middle of the the store and then you can kind of go around and then and i think you're just sitting on like their products. You're like, oh damn, this is a comfortable couch. You're like, oh yeah, well you by the way, you can go purchase it over here. It's like insidious marketing. Like yeah. on, like it's like the highest level of marketing. It's like experiential marketing. And so what they were doing was like kind of thinking of all facets of that, how to mm. create an immersive experience, right? And so they they went out to find artists and musicians to like sign to like a record label that they made very similar to like, like a Red Bull or like, oh, a, sure. you know, or like even Starbucks, like Starbucks putting out records, like yeah, monster, I think did that? something similar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Starbucks would you, you'd come in and like, they They'd have, have that record. exclusive CD. And so I think they were trying to like do something like that. And the guy that they hired to like go find artists, the A&R that they hired, like he was at our random little show. Like, I don't even know why, but that was the, my first uh, experience in like, oh, we want to give you money to make music and then we'll sell that music. And so my, my bandmate and I were like, okay, like we're not doing anything. Like that sounds like a dream. And we were called the Brixton's. And they were like, okay, cool. So here's a bunch of money, go make a record. And 
we were like, I, we don't know how to do that. We don't know anybody. And around the same time, we played another show in Brooklyn at this little like street festival. And someone came that ended up being my manager and managing me for what became the next like seven years of my career um, up until just last year. So this guy was in the audience. He's like, I think you're great. I think we can do something. Let's figure something out. And we were like, oh, well, we just got a bunch of money from this furniture company. Like we can make a record with them. And he's like, this looks really bad, but okay. Like really don't like this contract, but all right, here's some money. Like I know some people in Nashville, you guys could go make a record in Nashville. And we were sent to Nashville. It stayed for like two months to make a record with this producer, Brendan Benson, who is in the band, the Rack and Tours. Oh yeah. Uh, it's a Jack White band. And uh-huh. um, he is a record producer. And I guess we sent some demos and he was like, I'll make that record. I think it was a really good paycheck. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we went out, we made the record and we, we gave it to Restoration Hardware, the label. We're like, here's our record. And they were like, we don't like this. It's the, we don't want this. You know, we want you to make like an acoustic record, like the show that we saw. And we had made this relationship with this producer and we were like, we don't care about restaurant, restaurant hardware. We're yeah. like, we us on like third man records. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So that record never came out and nothing ended up happening. And the band broke up and it was this, you know, it was my, my first experience in like a heartbreak, you know, in a, in a band setting. And, but my, my manager was like, Hey, you know, you made a record, like, it's not going to come out, but like, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Like, you should make a, you should make a record. You can, you, you can be an artist. Like you don't need a band. We could do this. Um, you should, you know, work with me. Uh, let's find some people for you to write with. Like, I know a lot of producers and it kind of just started from there and just like became this artistry thing as a result of that. And I came to LA just to spend a couple of weeks like working with producers. And I just never left because I met producers that I really liked. And I started making a record with someone who became the executive producer of my first album. And I just, it wasn't the plan, but I've lived in LA for eight years now. (laughs) Wow. So you were still what living in Jersey when you uh, went to Nashville to record that record, the first one? Yeah, I was, I was, yeah. I was just like, living in an apartment, like a little basement, like barely making any money. I was bartending. Um, I was waiting tables. Yeah. I was, I was hustling out on the East coast, like playing every weekend in New York and just like trying to make something happen. And yeah, it's, it's weird to think about it now because it feels really like, like I feel so separated from it. Like that, like that, there's no way that happened, but that really is how it happened. That's wild. So the, because Restoration Hardware paid for the record, they just scrapped it. And they were like, yeah, they're, they're just like, oh, yeah, oh well. whatever. <laughs> yeah, we'll sell a couch and we'll, and we'll give the money back. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But wow. Okay. So then your manager says, I'll find you some people. And is that in LA or do you form a band? And is that what became this, you, you know, that your solo project that you're doing now? Yeah, I mean, he introduced me to some people to make music with, and I just started writing with producers and songwriters. And um, yeah, the artistry thing, like, 
it really just kind of developed from there. I, I started playing some shows. I, um, I was going, you know, back and forth to the East coast to like, you know, be with family and, and, and play shows and, um, trying to make some money here and there. And, um, that's where I, I played a, a show after I'd done some writing sessions and put some music together and, a, a publisher was at the show and um he was at this company big deal and he signed me and um that was my first you know like professional experience and relationship in the music industry and um from that publishing deal I had an advance and I was able to quit bartending and you know station myself in LA and be like this is where I live now and not stay in sublets anymore but like get it get an apartment and yeah, I, I started making, making my first record as a result of this publishing deal and the publisher had paid for the record and we, we shopped it to labels after it was made. And so Mm. I didn't make that record, even though it came out on Harvest Records, which is a subsidiary of Capital. Yeah. It, it was made entirely outside of their system and they bought it from my, bought the record. Yeah. Yeah. And you had a what a vir- you had a pretty viral song from that situation too, or is that later? Song, yeah, it was my first song, my first single that I put out. It was so weird now because I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure this is accurate, but I think it was Spotify's first year, oh, or wow. at least its first year, like you know, being like um, branded the way that it was. Like this is for users. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's usership was like not even a fraction of what it is today. And it, it just wasn't the, the. Yeah. Like, it's like the gold standard now. Right. I mean, the, right. it's, uh, we have, I have this many monthly listeners on Spotify. Like no one gives a shit if like no one's li- dropping like, Oh, you know, Apple play music. Yeah, I do this or whatever. Or Google. It's music. the metric used. It's like our metric system now for, and yeah, it's, it's such a, it's so synonymous with music industry right. now. at the time. It like really wasn't, it was new. It was this new function. Right. And I put out my first song in its first year. And so viral then it just doesn't mean the same thing that it does now. So I think it, it got like a million streams and I mean, uh, that's still, if you think about that, I mean, that's amazing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there was cool. Yeah. And with not even that many people, active users as there are now you know the pool is a lot smaller and a million people still play it like yeah it was it was um a way to identify that what we were doing was like something to keep to keep validation for sure yeah it felt like okay yeah keep keep doing this and you know initially i had I was really like hesitant to be an artist and to like not be in a band and i was thinking like I'm a Capricorn. I'm, I'm pragmatic, like to a fault. It gets in my way all the time. But at the time I was like, no, I think I just want to be a songwriter because you can actually make money as a songwriter and I'm never going to make it as, you know, an artist, like I'm not going to make it. And so I should just focus on songwriting. And I was putting out the music, hoping that that would help me get, um, into rooms with, with writers and producers and, and artists so that I could be a writer, which is funny because finding that, I'm coming back to that now at this stage in my life, but the artistry was really like, it started as a means to get there and to meet people to eventually say, okay, well, I want to be a songwriter. So I'll, I'll try to write for whoever it may be. 
Yeah, it was almost like if I can get some of my own clout going, that's how I'll get in the room with the artist that I want to write for. Yeah, not a bad and, idea. Yeah, I, I thought eh, this might work. And <laughs> I, I, I really felt like the artistry thing was not going to work out for me. Like, I just didn't see it. I, I think I tell myself the most realistic version of the story at all times so that I don't lose myself in um, just wishing I was something different or that my circumstances were different. It's almost like anything good that happens just gets to be a good thing that happened. And rather than like falling short of some expectation, and that's been really hard to maintain as I got into artistry. And I I think I knew that it was going to get harder to maintain that frame of mind as I continued in a, in a career as an yeah. artist. I and mean, it's a great mindset. <laughs> I was going to say for me, I'm like, I'm the type of person that would be like, Oh, I hope I get this or get this many, you know, whatever downloads on my podcast and then I'll get it. And then I'm like upset that the next one doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, yes. it, yeah. it, like I, I set too far of an expectation instead of like living in the moment, like, instead like, of being like this is great. I did this. It's like, yeah, that's cool. Like, well, what, well, how come I'm not here now? Like, and, I, I mean, know, I've heard it described as like character the, default. I think that's everybody, to be honest. Like, <laughs> I really do. And you hear about like people in such positions of power, influence. They're they're really successful, and they have that that same narrative of like, oh, but like if I when if I just get there, then that's when I'll feel like I really achieved what I you know like I don't think anyone gets to feel that sense of like. I did it. I got there because I think there is a construct and it's not real and it just doesn't exist. So you can't ever actually arrive there because it's yeah. made up. So yeah. yeah it's from- fascinating to think like uh, the Anthony, I interviewed this guy, Anthony from the band Bayside and he was telling me the two things that really stuck out to the conversation was one, when they got signed, he was like, he thought it was like, Oh, you know, you get signed and that's it. It was like, Basically, he's like, you just went from like the, the kids table at, at Thanksgiving and now you're at the adult table. And now what what do you got? And then he also said, you never arrive, like what you just said, like yeah, you will no, never arrive. I think <laughs> universally like, felt. And if you can just be like, oh, cool. So there is no arrival. So right. what, how, what do I do with that? But then I think we're also we're in a field that there are metrics. And there are numbers assigned to, you know, the the things that you do creatively and trying to absolutely. And like success is frankly measured in this industry. It is measured. And so you have to find a way to like remain in that like holistic mindset while also just being okay with the reality that there are these metric systems set up to define how well you're doing. Mm -hmm. And like, that is just what it is. And you just do your best to like hold those two truths to the same weight in your mind at the same time. I think that's, I know that that's like a Buddhist practice. It's supposed to be like true enlightenment and true wisdom is when you can hold two oppositional truths to the same weight at the same time is like when you've truly found like peace. Yeah. And it's something I work on consistently is to just remain in balance and to both accept that 
there are numbers and metrics and you will be judged and you will be critiqued. And that is the nature of what you're doing. And also none of these things really matter. None of these things are definitive to who you are and what your what your um, what you have to offer and what your value is is not actually defined by these things. So they feel oppositional, but if you can just like accept them both at the same time, maybe then you can like relax a little bit and just try to like be present in it and enjoy it for what it is. Yeah, I love that idea. It's yeah, it's just such a like you said, it's a subjective field, but there's metrics now in real time that tell you whether or not <laughs> the subjective aspect of it, people care about, I guess. And it will affect your bottom line also, which has obviously a real, a real effect on your real life. So like things like those numbers, you know, if they're higher, they will lead to different opportunities and like a different number in your, in your bank account. So, right. right. Like, and it, it is going to affect the way that you're perceived. And I think that's why I've always really cared that every move I make creatively is really authentic because if something good is going to happen, if it doesn't, if it happens because of something I did that I, that wasn't authentic to me, I feel like that would follow me the rest of my life. So I think I do that at the you know, dismay of record companies and people who have tried to figure out how to market it and how to make it commercially successful. And, you know, I really care that it is just genuine that what I'm saying and what I'm doing in my art is authentic. And whether that is going to lead to like ultimate success has to be secondary to the thing itself being meaningful to me. And yeah, I, that's, that's too, it helps me kind of redefine what success means. And I do think that we get to make our own conclusions about what success is. And it doesn't have to be the same as success to somebody else. And success to me is that I get to make music. I have the resources that I need to make music and that music gets to be the center of my life all the time. That's what makes me feel successful in what I do. And I try to just let the numbers do what they're going to do. You just hope for the best, right? Yeah, hundred percent. That's a great outlook on it all. I mean, and I mean, you, you are a hundred percent authentic in what you do. I mean, listening to your songs and like how vulnerable you are with your lyrics and your music videos. And it's like a lot of people wouldn't have the courage to do what you do. And also on that, like, I feel like the people that are the most authentic now are the ones that are like bubbling through especially with things like tiktok like if you try to just jump on a trend that's already happening or write a song similar to something that's already going it's very rare that the next one will hit in the same you know in the same way totally i i feel like with all of that stuff like if i'm if i were to ever give advice to anyone that's like I'm going to ask you that at the end of the interview. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) I love that. What's your advice question? Because I'm always like, I don't know, to be honest, like the truth is that I'm figuring it out and giving advice when you're in the midst of something is like, it can feel really silly. You're like, I'm not, please don't ask me. I don't know anything. Like I'm a baby that's just trying to like feel my way through this. But I would say that like, the only way to like actually win and is to, is to do it as yourself. 
And like anything else is just like not going to fulfill you. So if you're doing something because it's a trend or because you think it might help you with views or engagement or virality, like approaching it from, from that perspective, it just takes the authenticity away. And what you're left with is something pretty empty and, and it will ultimately, it's not going to make you happy and it doesn't matter how big it gets. And you'll find yourself chasing that forever. And I know of a lot of people who get viral success and then find themselves just kind of chasing their tail, trying to figure out how to do that over and over and over again. And the nature of it is that it happens once, right? Like that is kind of how that mechanism is, is designed. And it's also designed to keep you trying to play that lottery machine over and over and over and hope for the same result. And really, ultimately, all these things are trying to do is keep you on, on your phone, on the screen. That is, yep. They're not created for any other purpose. And I think if we can just like find um, a way to like live with that and not be swallowed up by it and not be consumed by it and not let it be the dictator of all of our choices and all of the, the way that we spend our time, the way that we make our decisions, I think we'll ultimately be in a, a, a much better place. And I'm really interested to see how all of that shakes out as, as um, things continue to develop and these things become more a part of our like everyday lives in a way that it's not gonna be the new shiny toy anymore. And I'm uh-huh. really curious what that's going to mean for the future of how artists share what they make and connect with audiences. And ultimately I'd say anything you put up anywhere, just like be real about it and do it because you really want to, and you really believe in it so that you don't come to have to have that kind of experience where something happens because for, for, you know, reasons that are, are really devoid of. of right. <clears throat> and what if you do something, you know, based off of a trend and then it lands and then now you're known as that person. And it's like, how do you, like, are you really willing to set up the rest of your life doing that, that thing? I mean, I don't know. It's just so crazy to think. And then like, just how you're saying, like, what is this going to look like in five years from now? Right. You know? Right. I think I, I really try to look at it like too, like I try to see the positivity and being niche and being small. And I try to see like how that actually benefits my artistry. And I think there's because of how much access we have now and how, how the landscape of like how you share and then how you also like absorb things and the way, the amount of access to media that we have now, it's just so, it's so different than ever before, especially like when I started it, it wasn't like this. People didn't, there wasn't a cultural norm to like check your phone 400 times a day. Like that wasn't, that just was not how how people operated. And so it's been really interesting to like watch the whole thing kind of change as, as I change and as I continue to put out music and the landscape of artistry before me, like just there's like a whole city that's sprouted like over these last few years, it's really interesting for me to, to watch, but I'm trying to see that there is a value in a smaller system. Like when I was on the label, everything is about um, fan acquisition. Like everything is about gaining, 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 growing, growing, growing. And I think my 
my shift in focus now in looking at where everything is at, where I am at and, you know, entering into this independent venture. It's, it's been really cool to make different decisions about how I go about my career and care more about servicing the people that are there, that are loyal, that have shown that they care, turning passive listeners into more, into more, you know, hardcore fans and bringing them into your fan base in a deeper way. And, really using like a model that isn't all about growth and acquisition and is more about, which feels so corporate and it feels so capitalist and doesn't really intersect like in a meaningful way to me with, with art. And ultimately if what I want to sell is authentic art, I'm totally cool with it feeling smaller, looking smaller. And I almost think that there's going to be a value placed on things that are more mysterious, harder to reach, harder to find, have a smaller audience, smaller engagement, that there's got to be a way for that to, to feel valuable to the industry. Because what I'm finding in real time is that it is valuable because even though it's not a viral moment, it still has active listeners, people who are sharing it authentically, people who then buy the ticket to the show. Like that is still an experience that's really taking place regardless of virality being present or not. And that's something that I think should really be looked at by the industry as valuable. And I'm excited to see how, how we, the pendulum swings now that it's gone so far in this yeah. direction. It is fascinating because I, I mean, I'm 38. So when I was growing up, it was like Green Day was a, they sold out when they put, when they, when they signed to a major label and they, and they put out Dookie and it was like, oh, you, that was the worst thing you could possibly be was, was have a massive fan base to have that, to achieve that was such a thing. And there's, there's hundreds of millions of people calling them a sellout band, right. but they're all because everyone had their own little scene in their own area. And it was like, I, I, I would see bands. Like I grew up with when like, you know, all these emo bands that are now like headlining these Vegas festivals were playing to 25 people. And then when they made to the next level, I was almost like irritated about it. I'm like what? Now they're charging 20 bucks and playing to 1500 people, which instead of being like, that's awesome that they're doing that. It was like, now it's not mine anymore. Right. And I, yeah. and I feel like that. Yeah, I feel like I like exactly what you're saying. I, I think there's something so important in that. And instead of being like, I'm going to sell the whatever, I'm going to have a million TikTok reposts or whatever. It's like, OK, but there, there's a lot of artists out there that may not have that, but they've been a band for 15 years and they know they can sell 2000 tickets in every market and they're totally. doing much better than a band that you know, had one moment of success. Yeah. I think that's really important to like, remember. And I, I think that sometimes this is stuff that like, isn't like sexy to talk about to fans like this these, <laughs> right. these topics, like, you know, there's like a lot of mystery in the industry. And I think that's by design. It's so much about like, just the optics are so important. And what's so important is that you look like you've got your shit together at every step of the way that you look confident and in what is going on around you so that what you're selling to people is, you know, the ideal, 
when really like it's fraught with like mistakes and error and like complication and challenges and like failures, lots and lots of failures. And this is stuff that like we're just told not to talk about because it's not hot to the fan, you know, and I completely also understand wanting to protect the fan from the politics of the industry, because this ultimately is for them. And Mm -hmm. you want them to have these experiences that are, that can transport them out of the bullshit of their own lives and into a world that is special and different and safe and exciting and magical. And that's kind of like the mystique of artistry is like a part of it is creating that for people. And so that the environment they're coming into when they're listening to your records or when they're interacting with you on social media or coming to your shows, that they feel like it's, it's a transportation from the mundane and from, you know, what they deal with in their lives. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, it's, um it's important to, to give people information and to let them have information and do with that information what they will. And I think we're finding just the, a cultural shift of people just talking about like, Hey, like, I mean, I don't know if you read that, like Lord expose about like, Hey, I, I'm breaking even on my tour. Like this is no, not, I didn't see that. Just really interesting to see artists of all sizes, someone of her size and her power to still be struggling to like earn money on a tour. It really speaks to like the reality of that we're living in. And I think people deserve reality and deserve to like hear how things really are. And then they get to react genuinely to what that is. And I think I, um, sorry, I, you heard that leaf blower guy. Is my, yeah, that's cool. Whatever. Is that okay? Okay, cool. Yeah. I'm like, the beauty, that's so- what, one thing I do love about doing pod, I mean, I d- did radio, I don't know if it said, but I was on the radio for a long time, like you 17 years. You have a radio years. voice, yeah. Oh, thank you. And it was like, it got to, to the point of being so, you, I, we'd never have a conversation like this. It was always like the most, you know, five minutes, snip down to one. What's your favorite burrito in San Diego? No one gives a shit like yeah. that. So I love having these. That's and I love hearing the struggle of the artist because it's like if you want to be an artist, that's like legit how it happens. It's not you don't right. just wake up one day and you just sit on the piano and write, you know, let it be. And you're like, oh, well, now I'm going to be a millionaire. It's like right. none right. of that happened. Yeah, so. I mean, it's full of suffering. And I think that's why to like it has to be so important to you. Like you better love this so much for the right reasons to, to be able to sustain. And I I found too, like, I thought it was interesting that you mentioned, you know, like living in Nashville, you have so much access to people who are like really secretly, really successful. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what I found is like the people who are most successful that do this in a way that approach it in a way that's really authentic like they just stuck around and they just kept doing it. Like they just didn't stop. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, that's spoken to me in a really major way. Cause I'm, I'm 32 and to be a woman making pop music, like, you know, you kind of age out at 17 and people stop giving a shit, you know, and I'm feeling Which that. Is so asinine. It's but. wild. <laughs> yeah, it's really wild. I feel like more, if there's any time to listen to what I have to say, it would be now and not, <laughs> not when, right, I when you, yeah. It. When you've lived a life. Yes, you know I mean? exactly. But not that 32 is old by any means, but you know, it's weird though, because 
you know, were you, you adhere to the reality of like, you know, your life. And we all kind of, we all kind of have our own little reality going on. And in, in the rest of the world, like, of course it's not old. And then in the music world, it's like, Oh, you're like up there. <laughs> like you're old. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. It's- we need to get together a best of here. We'll do like a, a reunion. Or like <laughs> feeling a lot with like, you know, Oh, you haven't, you haven't popped off yet. Like it's, you might have met you, you probably missed it, you know? And that that's, that's more what it feels like sure. and, and sounds like, um, and I've faced that a lot. And I think, yeah, I'm, I'm finding there's so much more value in what I have to say and what my output is now than there ever was before. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm excited to be approaching it in a different way and not be a, a, a part of that kind of like corporate world of music in the same way that I was through my whole career to this point. And I came, I, I came up against so much resistance because I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. And I didn't want to do what they thought would sell and what they wanted me to do. And I get to now just kind of not care and approach it differently. But yeah, yeah. yeah, I, I think fans deserve to know if they want to know. And if they're seeking out information, like if you're going to read an interview or listen to an interview, like I would I would think that you're interested in hearing what they really have to say. Right. And in that case, this is the perfect setting for just being really upfront about, you know, this is what it really is. And it's not, it's, it's not like as magical as it appears. And there's such a great deal of struggle to get from, you know, point A to point B. And I think the more you let fans into that, then the more, the stronger your support system can, can become. And I found that in my own, in my yeah, own the more okay. relatable you are as well it's not like totally. oh this person just be woke up and they became you know what they are but no, no there's so much work and in, entailed behind it um but i, I want to talk to you about your your album that we haven't even touched on yet but we've talked quite a bit about you know the fact now that you are an independent artist and you can make your own decisions and i'm sure that was pretty um you know freeing to get out maybe get out of a situation like that but um I'm curious, like, yeah, you have this record. You put a record out, was it 2022? And then you left the label? I put out an EP with the label. Oh, yeah, twenty, yeah, EP with the label. And yeah, then yeah. now you're independent. So yeah. obviously that chapter, you know, tell me, talk to me about like from leaving the label and then to now, like, was that a terrifying you know, thing for you, like, what was your thought process? Like, or do you know you're going to keep releasing songs and you could care less what, you know, the industry so-and-so or thought at that point or. I think that <clears throat> it wasn't a surprise firstly to, to be dropped at all. Um, so many bands have dropped all the time. Totally. And there's always some reason that's bigger than you. And there's, then there's also all the reasons that have to do directly with you. And there was all of that, you know, so, Mm. excuse me. Um, Yeah. I, my, my label had dissolved. There was no one working at the label anymore at the time that they dropped me. Like there was no one with an email address for the label anymore. Like it had basically ceased to exist. And I was the only 
person left. And so I knew that, you know, I knew it was over. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, like, as it goes, this is super, super common. Um, so I, I don't feel like it's, <clears throat> I don't feel like it's malicious at all from the point of the, the standpoint of the company, but they wait until your option period is over. And so like, how, I, I'm sure that you know this, but how it works is, you know, you're given an advance and to live off of from the record company. And then you're also given, you know, a budget to make your thing. Mm -hmm. And then you make the thing and that begins the cycle. Then the cycle is, you know, the, the creation of, and the promotion of the album, this thing that you made. And, um, the label waited until the option period was, was ending was over. And so what that means is like, the budget had been spent and the advance had been spent on my living expenses, on my rent for that year. And, you know, to feed myself and to like drive my car. So it wasn't a lot to begin with, but it's what I was living off of. And so, right. That's like how I didn't have to, you know, work another job. It's that's what kept me, you know, making, making records only Mm -hmm. Uh, and touring. I was touring a lot. And um, yeah. So when the pandemic happened and my touring business fell apart because I couldn't tour, uh, all of those resources had dried up and, and I was just living off of this advance, uh, for a couple of years, this went on. Right. I mean, we all remember. So the money had run out and the option period was over and it was like, you're either going to sign me and give me, you know, another advance to live on and another budget to make another record or, you're going to drop me. And because they dropped me, the budget didn't come and the advance didn't come. And so I was in a position where like, I mean, I just straight up, I was in a really, really bad spot. Like my, what do you do at that point? What do you you do? Yeah. Yeah. You have, you have no income now. They just pulled that right away from you without any notice. And, you know, obviously they own the masters. I'm in a recoupment process. So like, I don't see any money from. Yeah. So if it gets a bazillion streams, it doesn't even matter to you. Exactly. Right. And so that had, that had a pretty profound effect too, on like trying to market it and promote it myself, because I was like, this doesn't even belong to me. And that's really, that really grew this thing. in in, in my experience with it, where it just, I felt a real separation between myself and my records by the time they came out. Um, and it was really hard for me to, to keep up with promoting them. Um, but yeah, so my lease was ending at the same time and there was no money coming in and I had just no prospects. Like this was my life for I've signed there for six years. So, you know, you get, you get used to the, the way that, you know, what that life provides you. And then everything, everything ended, everything was gone. Like in, in an instant, like I couldn't re-sign my lease because I didn't have any income and I couldn't move somewhere else because I didn't have any income. And it was either like, go and live with your parents and in New Jersey and try to figure something out or stay in LA in your car until something happens. And so I I lived in my car for some time and was just, I just really, really struggled. Like I of course was at a point where I'm like, I don't even, it's not even an, an emotional decision. It's like, can I feasibly continue to make music? It was 
everything was pointing to no because I didn't have any resources to to home or or feed myself. And um, the only thing that I did have at that time was, you know, the body of work that I had put out to that point and the fans that had come along as a result of me putting out music and touring and playing these shows and and building a fan base for a few years. So looking at what I had in front of me, I was like, I've got fans that really care about me and I have this like undying need to create things. And so I leaned on my fans and I played a couple of shows to make a little bit of money. And that got me into an apartment. And then I started like pitching the songs that I was working on at that time. I think too, there's, I don't know that fans really understand that like when you're making records, you don't necessarily have to like put like a deposit down on like a studio and like lock yourself in a studio. There's people who like make music in their bedrooms and they do it in, in their garages and they do it in spaces that they rent together with a bunch of friends. And that's how I was making records through that, through that process of like not having a place to live and not making any money. So those songs ended up being the songs on this album and I was recorded just kind of all over the place. All over the place. And it was the first time I had done that. Um, my other records had executive producers and, you know, you get you get all your demos together and you get in a room for a couple of months and you spend every day in that studio making that record. And this was I didn't even know that I could make an album because I I there was nothing, you know, there was nothing going on. There's I also was really having a really hard time getting anyone interested in bringing me on i think that fans also are have a, a you know just a lack of the information to know that like having music out it's not an asset it's actually a detriment unless it's been like super successful so if you've put out a record that costs a hundred thousand dollars to make and it only sells $50,000 worth of, right? Like if that's what you recoup, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's not a successful record. That's a failed record. Whereas if I were doing that now as an independent and I sold, you know, and I sold my record for, and made 50 grand, I'd be like, that's awesome. That's amazing. Right. That's really great. But that's just not, that wasn't the structure that I was in. And so I had, I had two failed records. Well, that that's just, a lot of, artists are put in that position it's like okay we're gonna up we're gonna front a hundred grand for everything to do with this record and then if you sell fifty thousand dollars now you owe them fifty thousand dollars right right exactly exactly and it's it's, they're a bank it doesn't doesn't register (laughs) this is a successful thing that you should get involved with so it doesn't it doesn't add to your resume as like cool this is like a resume builder it actually you go into these meetings with different companies and this stuff is detrimental to your pitch. Like they look at all of that stuff. They look, they analyze your, like everything is algorithmic now. And so mm-hmm. they just run your shit through a computer system and they're like, yes or no, is this yeah. going to, is this going to make us money or won't it? And my project, it's just, it doesn't make people money or it hasn't historically. And so I was just like, 
no one wanted it. Like no one wanted it. I also knew that I didn't want to go to a label. And so I was pitching to all these distribution companies and like indie labels and, and just like partners that would be like different than what I was doing at Capital. And yeah, it just, it was not hitting, but I knew the records were meaningful. I knew the records were important and I knew that they were special for me. Like some of my most special music that I had made to this point. And I was writing about all this shit that was like, okay, this is, things can get really, really dark and I'm in a really dark place. How do I find the light anyway? And like, how do I transcend this? And how do I, I need to push through this. Like I have to, and I have to find myself on the other side. So let me not focus anymore on these like, what I have, you know, like, what are my earthly possessions that I own, you know, and like, what is my, what's my situation? What, what does my life look like around me? I really just had to be like, fuck all that. Go inward, like ask yourself deeper, more meaningful questions about who you really are when all of this stuff is taken away and like, look upward and like, think about how you're just uh, cells and you're just this being on this fucking planet that's a part of this enormous thing and nothing that you're doing is that serious and it really that's what all of the music started to be about at that time and yeah i mean it's just so sorry no um yeah it <laughs> stop um yeah i just like writing the record and writing records like that completely pulled me out of that place that i was in and while everything around me looked really shit and really bleak i still i still was able to like keep trying and i think that was only because i was so focused on these themes that made made their way into this record. And I think that's why this record is so important for me to be putting out now because I'm finding myself, you know, a year from the time that I was dropped. Like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not like killing it. Like I live in a studio apartment, you know, like I struggle, my car is being held together with duct tape, but like, I'm so happy and like, I'm so grateful and like, I get to do this and I, it feels amazing that things can get that bad and you could still fight your way through it and be okay. And now I have this record coming out. That's like all about that. So I really, I'm really excited about it. I'm really like, I'm interested to see what happens, but ultimately if the only thing this album did is help just pull me out of that place that I was in when I was dropped, like, yeah, I mean, it was emotional for so many reasons, but mostly because I felt like I didn't know who I was when I took all that stuff away and I got to figure out what's really important to me and and who I really am without the validation and without the perception and without the material things. And yeah, so that's what, that's definitely very much what this album is about. And it, it just, it, like, it totally saved me ma- making the album it really did. Yeah. That I, I, I love your honesty. And like, it, it really sometimes takes getting to that point, you know what I mean? Like getting to that, like that low or the bottom and then being able to, now you're back on your feet. You have an amazing record out. You're, you know, you have an apartment, you're doing these things, but 
and you're doing what you love and you're able to survive on music and yeah. it's all going to just keep building and building up again from here and you're independent so you don't have to worry about somebody else owning all the masters <laughs> if something i mean if if i were to do the same exact thing with this record as my last records did i can finally now like that will benefit me directly and i've never had that before and so it's not this like constant race on a treadmill to nowhere it's like this is actually just meaningful steps forward and it's something that i can actually like expand upon and grow with and i'm so so grateful that I had the experience that I did. I'm really grateful for everyone that worked really hard for me on the label side and really tried to make that environment work for me. I think it's become so obvious that that is just not the environment to thrive in for artists like me um, who are not willing to be performers first and care you know, more deeply about what it is that they are saying and, and, not as interested in commodifying what they do and more interested in, in creating something real. And um, yeah, I think that this independent space is, is set up for people like me to be able to, to start thriving in the music industry rather than struggling to just to keep up and um, in a way that doesn't, that doesn't really feel right at, at the end of the day well it's the record that revels the album and it's yeah. june it comes out june 16 yeah are you doing a like because i want to buy the album is it coming on like a vinyl or are you just doing streaming or i couldn't afford it this time yeah, around it's so expensive that's how i was it curious is. it is i i this is like as diy and bare as it comes like i I'm even finding, you know, like I'm, I'm going to tour it and I'm excited to tour it. You are. Okay. That was my next I, question. I will, I will, but you know, it's, it's going to be difficult for me to try to explain to fans that it can't happen this year because I don't know if, you know, I'm sure that you talk to other artists about what that space looks like now post post pandemic. Oh, it's, it's, yeah. it's just gotten, um, it's just a whole other game out there. So like, rather than waiting you know, I don't, I also think, I think this, I, I hope that people aren't bored by what we're talking about, you know, cause I know fans just kind of want to hear about the the fun stuff, but. Um, well, I started this podcast so songwriters can be, be inspired to, to do this. And good, that's good. why well, hopefully this that. is inspiring and not like, well, it's, the, or, it's real, it's real. Yeah. And this, yeah. you, you aren't the first person that's came on here and had a tough time. You know okay, I mean? good, good. Yeah, because <laughs> it is it is a really cool thing to do, and there are ways to do it. And I just I hope that I can help someone understand that you don't have to do it in the way that maybe has been like um, most broadly accepted as like this is how you do this. So I'm interested in talking about the other ways to go about it. But there there used to be you know a cue for um, to play a show for a certain venue, you know, you would, you would submit your name, you say, I want these dates and there'd be a queue, you know, like a line of other artists waiting for that date too. And you're maybe like, maybe you're the fifth artist that's asked for those dates. And so you got pretty good chance 
other stuff is going to drop off and you're probably going to get those dates. You might get those dates or you might have to wait a couple months, whatever. The queues are now like 25 plus artists deep. And so you're not waiting for, you know, three months down the line from now. You're waiting for n- nine months down the line. Right. From now. So in terms of being able to plan a tour, especially for an album that comes out this spring, I won't be able to tour it. Um, until 2024, like early 2024. So that's the plan. And that's, I, I'm excited to do it. But the reality is that we're just in a completely different world now. And it's just not the same that it used to be in terms of like how you market and roll out your record. So <clears throat> I would, I would love to be putting this out physically. I just didn't have the resources, but <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. I'm, um, I, I'm a physical person. Like I like tangible, I like to hold stuff and like feel, you know, like maybe it's our generation or whatever, but it's harder for me to just reckon with like, everything is digital now, Mm -hmm. but I'm just proud to be like doing what I can, you know, and like still functioning <laughs> All right and i was gonna say i mean following <laughs> songwriters out there you are doing music as your job full-time i mean imagine that like if somebody told me like you know you don't have to work five other jobs you know what i mean it's like you do music and how many people would be stoked on that aspect is like you wouldn't even know i mean yeah wait, I can just do music and, you know, and live life. Like, how crazy is that? Like, I mean, that's such a victory. There's like all kinds of cool ways to, to like only do music as a career. And it doesn't all have to do with like, this comes back to what we were initially talking about, but it really doesn't, it doesn't all hinge on whether people know who you are. Like you really can, like I sang demos for a long time for other writers, like, and I would, you know, get paid to like sing, you know, a bunch of guys would write a song to pitch to pop girls and they would need, you know, a female pop vocalist. And Mm -hmm. I would come in for a couple hours and I had my demo fee and I would sing the song and no one knew that I did that. And I like, no one has to know that I did that. It's that, that was a way to make a little bit of money so that, and also to meet um, producers and writers and artists. So like I would be in the room introducing myself as the demo singer but you strike up a conversation and you start a rapport with someone and you're like, Hey, I make music too. I would love to work with you. And then you've got a relationship. So there are like, there's so many ways to go about this. And actually very few of them have to do with like, how do I get as big as possible and as seen as possible? Uh, Because there's so few slots that are open for, for people like that. And I would say like, it's would be more beneficial for someone going after this to look at all of the, the tiny doors that you can open for yourself um, that might lead somewhere really cool. And I've met a lot of really cool people by just like networking in ways that you just wouldn't necessarily expect. It's not all about putting yourself online and trying to get your songs heard on TikTok. Like there's so many other ways that you can make meaningful connections in the music industry. And one thing always leads to another if you're diligent and you're a hard worker and you show up and you give your best. And if you, you know, if you really care, like that will come through and there's all kinds of stuff that you can do. So 
um, yeah, I, I think songwriting is like still so alive and well. And I, I hope that there's still people going, going for it, you know, knowing how hard it is out here and just thinking about it in a more holistic way than, you know, I've got to make it and I've got to make it online and, and I've got to, I've got to go viral. I got to be big and yeah. So many other unique and inspiring ways to be heard and, and to be involved. I love that. I, you kind of, I was going to ask you for my last question, if you have any advice for aspiring artists, but that was pretty much dead on beautiful advice to give somebody. Um, so I'm going to ask you a different question and I okay. want to know if uh, like, if, have you, is there something that you've learned you know, kind of along the way that maybe you wish you would have known, you know, maybe years beforehand or when you moved to LA, is there something that you've learned in those, in that time period? Like, I wish, I really wish I would have known that blah. And I'm sure there's a million things, but there's I didn't so know many that. things. Yeah, there's something <laughs> at the top of your head. Um, like, I wish I could tell myself that this is going to, you know, to do this instead. I think, I think I would say that your intuition is almost always right. And a lot of people are going to tell you to not trust your gut. And if you're told to do something or given advice that does not feel right to you, it is not right for you. And like, you're allowed to say no. So like, I think we're really, when you're trying to get out here and just have opportunities and put yourself, you know, in the right place at the right time. And we're all like, you know, it, it is such a challenge. And when you're given a spot or a given like a bit of light, you want to just do anything that you can, right. Just like show up and just, I'll do anything. And I just, there were times that I knew something was not the right move for me. And I would do it anyway and agree to it because I thought they'll just give that to somebody else or I'm going to piss them off and they're not going to work with me anymore. Or, you know, I'm, if I'm wrong and this fails, then it's all on me. And I would say like, that's, that's more empowering than you think. And you're allowed to say no, and you're allowed to allow things like to not be for you and the right things will not pass you like what's meant for you is there. And I think I, I was never encouraged that my intuition is worth listening to. And I would just say like, follow that, like really listen to it because it's almost never wrong. Like it is such a meaningful thing to lean on because there's, there's no right way to do this, but there's a right way for you. So, and you know what that is better than anybody can dictate to you or for you. Bring it back, world. Well, yeah.